I do like a very low key version of what you do, but people aren't as welcoming and they don't let me sure. do as many tours. Yeah. Like the gold mines don't like take me around or anything. Yeah. But, that's but, a bummer. Yeah. Um, uh, they're like, but, it's a security risk. I'm like, well, obviously, but do you think this is like, do you think this is a long con? Yeah, but th- that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's bullshit though. Yeah, it's like, is it really a security risk? Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's super funny. Yeah. I have my, my, my six accomplices waiting outside yeah. the gate in an armored car. Exactly. They're going to bust through. And, and people think gold mines, like you pick up the dirt and it's glittering. Yeah, it's like not, you can't see the gold in most gold like mines. That happens. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's most of it's not visible gold. And so uh you have to get a lot of gold you have to get a lot of that uh fancy yeah, dirt like and then put acid on it way better things to do if i wanted to run like a quick game here yeah then your gold mine i did i went to a gold mine 2019 in saudi arabia and apparently it was a super super rich deposit a crazy rich deposit and they had a lot of barbed wire around that whole entire mine i didn't i then they uh, they then you couldn't get close to processing. So processing was through another security checkpoint with more barbed wire. So the whole thing, barbed wire, and we drove. So we, um, uh, I, the, the whole time, the, whole, the first trip that I went to Saudi yeah. Arabia, I was kind of just along for the ride. I, they didn't really tell me what I was going to see. And so, so I, I'm a few days in at this point. I have a handler and, and I basically just go wherever the handler goes. So if he gets in the car and I just go with him and, and he doesn't tell me how far we're going, I just find out when we're there because he can't really speak English all that well. Yeah. And so uh, we go visit these job sites around Jeddah, um, which is their, their uh, like kind of big city on the coast. And then we go. And drive probably six hours in the middle of nowhere that afternoon. And a six-hour drive is a long time driving when you don't know where you're yeah, going. You've got to know where you're going if you're you in the car that long. Well, and you right? can't conversate with, yeah. with the guy you're with. It's just so the window. You're just out there. Yeah, yeah. You just have the window, and it's not exactly um, uh, fast-changing scenery. It's kind of the same thing the whole time. So we get to this small town, and, and, and we, we stay in this small town. And we stay at like a hotel in quotes, uh, but they didn't like, there was no shower. No. There was no toilet paper. Like it was pretty, it was pretty bare bones, yeah. pretty bare bones operation. We wake up the next morning and we drive an hour or two into the desert, like the desert. There's nothing out there. And then he gets on the phone. He has this frantic conversation. And then we turn around. And we drive all the way back to the town we just were in. <laughs> and, and then. still have no. Have no idea. Very vague idea. No What's idea. going on. And then he finds this police officer and talks to this police officer. I probably getting directions. Frantic conversation again. Then we turn around and drive back to exactly where we were before. And then turn off into the desert and go even further into the desert. So this is a road that they told me after the fact that they don't let you drive at night because it's so desolate. If you break down out there, no one's coming for you. So it's, it's not legal to drive at night. That's, that's how remote this is. And you're going through sand dunes and there's camels, you know, out in the distance. Exactly how you'd envision it. Not well marked. No. And then all of a sudden there's this operation, this, you know, enormous barbed wire fence with razor wire. And we go in and they, uh, he turns to me and just asks for my passport. 
And I hand him, I don't, I'm not thinking. I hand him my passport and then the security people there just take my passport. And we drive into the mine. I'm sitting there like, like what did I, really I just do? I, yeah. just, I just gave these people my passport. I don't know if I'm going to see that again. Like, yeah. I shouldn't be separated from my passport when I'm in Saudi Arabia. I, that, that's the one thing I need. And you don't really have a way to like raise this as an issue at this point. No, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I can't. Yeah, I, I, I'm just sitting there in a little bit of panic like, oh, no, what did I just do? And we go to the workshop and we get to the workshop and there's this uh, uh, we go we go to the office and there's this angry British guy. So he can speak English, which is yeah. fantastic. Uh, and, and I hear the English. I'm like, oh, thank God. I can actually yeah, communicate exactly. with somebody and we might be able to do something mm-hmm. here. And he, he, we walk into his office and he's just, he just, he's like, who the hell are you guys? And I, I, look, at, I look at the guy I'm with. I'm like, no, yeah. no, come yeah. on. Like, come on. You guys told him told we were coming, right? You've got this handled, right? And, and he thought we were coming the next week. And so he says, I'm sorry. I, I, I have a lot to do today. I can't deal with this right now. And we go out into the workshop and I'm just sitting there. I'm like, oh, I, I flew for 24 hours just to get to this country. And then we had to, we had to travel all this way just to get to this damn point to see these damn machines at this gold mine. So then I go back into the guy's office because I'm that far in. Like I, I, and I just got told no. Yeah. I'm going to have to Might get told well get no to, at least yeah, twice. twice. Yeah, I, I, I can't. I, 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 but I, I finally talked the guy into bringing us around for a little bit. And then he gets us out into the mine and I start just getting to know him. And, mm-hmm. and I think because he works with guys that don't speak English very well, somebody that could conversate with him was probably a welcome. Yeah. Uh, respite. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like a little bit of a, a break from his day to day. Yeah. And he really warmed up and we got to see the whole mine. It was absolutely fantastic. But that was, I don't even know why I went down that tangent. But gold oh, mines, gold, gold mines. mines. But it's, it's it's gold mine, middle of nowhere, extremely well rich deposit. Uh, mining was sixty fifteens, sixty eighteen, triple sevens. So not huge equipment, but pretty good size equipment. And the rock is so abrasive that they change out the buckets on the sixty fifteens every forty eight hours. So every two days, they're having to just swap buckets in and out. They had this whole work area with guys just welding on buckets. Because they're just nonstop switching buckets in and out. And the thing about a gold mine is you really don't want to, you know, it's not a limited work week when you're pulling the world's most precious metal out of the ground. No. You want to keep that thing going the whole time. Yeah. But they've got the turnaround nailed. It's Oh, yeah. Yeah. They just swap the bucket and whack the pins out, swap it out, and you're good to go, I guess. Keep on rolling. And he said, I don't know if he was bullshitting me or not, but he said when it's like middle of summer and they're working at night, you can see the teeth glowing. Because the rock is that abrasive and they're generating that much heat mining this stuff that yeah. the teeth are glowing. And if they have that kind of wear, I kind of believe it. Yeah. That's, um, uh, that, that's going to run through pretty quick. Yeah. But anyway, 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 we're not here to talk about gold mine. I yeah. Know. Well, I mean, a little bit as much as you want. Um, we're here to talk about black gold. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. You black know, gold. It's like headlining. It'll yeah. work. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. The stuff that makes the world go round. Yes. Fuel. Uh, I think it's probably the most underappreciated resource in the dirt world. Yeah. Pretty Everything critical. else gets all the glitz and glamour and attention. Mm-hmm. And people 
I feel like, feel like fuels an afterthought. Yeah. But it, especially after watching it over the past two years, can really make or break the profitability of a job. Yeah. If you don't get it right. Yeah. You think about it and like, you know, wherever it ranks for a line item for everybody, uh, you don't really have line items that fluctuate like two or 300% year to year. Yeah. And then can expose you and just eat into your profits, right? Because yeah. a lot of times you're bidding a job and it might be a year out, right? It's not starting. You're trying to figure out what a fuel cost is and you're exposed. And mm-hmm. then can you roll it? Um, so there's not much where something can go from like, you know, crude oil being between like $27 a barrel and 120 in the last five years. It's just an insane range when you think about all the inputs. It's wild. Uh, so yeah, it can, and nobody knows where it's headed either. Well, but uh, I think if you look at everything, it's not going to $27 a barrel anytime soon. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Because I feel like people probably said that in 2019. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Exactly. Oil's never going to go down again. And then the whole. Yeah. My two, my two stories about this, because there are, there are a lot of companies who would like to tell you that they know where it's going. One, if I knew where any commodity was going, I would be on a beach trading it. Right. I wouldn't sure. be working a job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but my two favorite stories are the ones where like, uh, you know, think about right before, you know, uh, the first case of coronavirus, you know, comes out. There's you probably have mostly people that are just hugely bullish on crude. Right? Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing was like in uh, early 2022, everybody's asleep in bed. <laughs> you know, most of the market's saying, oh, you know, it's probably going up. Uh-huh. Right. Bullish again. Yeah are bearish a little bit. People were saying it's going down. And then Putin wakes up and he decides he wants to take Ukraine. Right? Sure. Nobody yeah. has that info. And yeah. it goes up. Like I think it was like 200%. Well, it, it was crazy because people were completely wrong on oil. Completely wrong yeah. in two different ways yeah. in just a span of two years. But nobody has perfect information. Right? Yes. And so yeah. it's like, uh, you know, when you're thinking about like running a business, this is like something that can be, you know, uh, you know, in Nashville alone, like, a gallon of diesel in the past five years has been under a dollar and it's uh-huh. been, I've seen like invoices where it's been 565, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you're running a business and you're trying to not have your success be based off of fluctuations in your commodity inputs, right? Sure. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really a lot of fun to deal with every day. It's, so. I've, I've always found it fascinating. I have this love for, um, I, I love industry. I just love industry. Railroads, ports, refineries, chemical plants, mines, infrastructure projects. I love steel mills, landfills. I love seeing how the world works Mm -hmm. because everybody depends upon it every single day of the week. And yet no one understands it. Everybody's so disconnected. They think when they go drive their car every day, they go to the gas station. Like that's where gasoline comes from. But then you go to West Texas or somewhere where it really starts and you're just like, whoa. This is crazy. West Texas is nuts. Like, <laughs> West but, Texas is like a <laughs> different world. But we have like, <laughs> we, we, we have that exact privilege of like all the stuff that trickles down to the individual citizen. Like you, you guys have talked about this before. Nobody has any idea what's going into the whole process to make it easy for you to wake up, drive your car on a well-paved road, you know, yeah. go into an office building. Nobody considers like the inputs before that right yeah yeah. Uh, so yeah i have like a pretty similar fascination uh since i've been in fuel for you know seven eight years 
I will get questions whenever it pops up on like CNN or CNBC or, uh, you know, about like gas prices or, hey, this colonial pipeline hack, what's the deal with that? But sure. uh, it's something that's definitely taken for granted yeah. 99% of the time, right? But, and I think people treat it, um, uh, people, people act like it's very simple too, mm-hmm. but it's a very, it's very complex very complex. Everybody's like, well, why don't we just drill for more oil? It's like, it's not really how it works. Well, yeah. it's like, that's a great, that, <laughs> yeah. yes. Like, I think we should do that, but you still are hindered by your refining capacity. You yeah. can't just bring new refineries online Ugh. Uh, tomorrow. Like it doesn't work that way. No. <laughs> and the refineries we do have are pretty tapped out right now. Yeah. And not only are they tapped out, but they're like getting converted to make other products. Yes. Right. Uh, yes. I'm, yes. I'm a Philly guy. And, uh, you know, in 2019, there was a refinery up there that like exploded and that refining capacity never came back online. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think the last refinery was built in like the 1970s. And I don't think in uh, today's state, you're going to be seeing like a bunch of new petroleum cracking refineries. No, built, right? well, that because, doesn't seem like a project that's getting approved. It, well, it's not getting approved to one, but the irony is they can't finance it because of these ESG rules. Yeah. So even if it were to get approved by the federal government, which it won't, they could they couldn't finance the construction of it because it's probably a 10, 20, 30 billion dollar project to go mm-hmm. build a new refinery now. I mean, tens of billions of dollars. Yeah, there's not like a number. You, you can throw out a number with a B on it and it's probably right. Yeah. Right? And, and, and so. JP Morgan's going to be like, mm, oh, it's for fossil fuel. Yeah. Ah, no, sorry. No. We can't do that anymore. It just doesn't fit the guidelines. It's going to be interesting to see. Like, I think, mm-hmm. you know, uh, from my perspective, uh, I think obviously we're making a transition to like cleaner fuels over time. Right. Like we've got RNG, we've got renewable diesel got you know people are looking at hydrogen all this stuff but what always makes me interested is like that gap between where the new came and Mm -hmm. where the old faded out and like one of the things i think about is uh you know how like we've had like a truck driver shortage for like years yeah you know you think about the idea of getting someone who's like beginning their career into a truck right when all the articles were about like you know oh it's gonna get automated it's Mm -hmm. gonna you know this job's going away right and now we're starting to see and it's tapered off a little bit there's like a gap right because the new wasn't quite all the way to where we thought it was right and you know the average age of a truck driver like a class 8 truck driver is like 62 years old well like that and and then not only that but then they've only made it way more difficult to get a cdl yeah and to maintain a cdl yeah than ever before on purpose i think but it's they haven't haven't made it easier, but there's like I mean that's that's another thing when you're talking about like stuff that we take for granted, right? Like the food that's in your supermarket is not just like spawning on the shelves, no. right? Like there's no. a, there's yeah. supply chains behind like every little modern convenience, yeah, that we as Americans have, right? And uh, people need to be like more cognizant of it because I do think there's like that big gap, uh, you know, potential where the next solution sounds really shiny and bright. But generally, there's a pretty good reason why we came to this current state of operating that we're in. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a balance. Well, and talking about supply chains, when, like when it comes to fuel, we were looking, you can see a terminal outside of our window here. Yeah. There's a few of them down the river in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Not too many, but a few. I think yeah. I count on, like, on my hand maybe how many there are just yeah. in this area. And so it, you don't think like 
when you see the truck at the gas station filling it up, even then, even then you're like, oh yeah, that's how the gas gets to the gas station. It has to go by truck. But then how does that truck get filled with gasoline or diesel? Well, it gets filled up at a terminal. Where does, how does it get there? Well, here they bring it in by barge all the way back, man. And, and, and yeah. And and then, and then from, from there it's, it's maybe another terminal or pipeline, pipeline, refinery, wherever the hell it comes from. Uh, and then how does it get to the refinery? Well, these enormous pipeline networks that are not being built anymore yeah. either, uh, yeah. because that we can't build pipelines. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> it's a step. It's a, if you look at like the actual, uh, refinery and pipeline map across, you know, North America, it's like very, very interesting where like, you know, Nashville is like a city of extreme, like population growth. Yeah. Right. And it's not designed. All the infrastructure to feed Nashville, stuff like petroleum, uh, you know, products it needs was built decades and decades ago. So you sure. start having to have like, you know, more like uh, adjustable infrastructure, like barge feds. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's an in-between market. So, uh, you know, certain regions of the country, like Chicago has three refineries in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. If you're in Chicago, you're getting your product from there and you're good to go. Yeah. If you're in like I'm trying to think of a good you know, city, if you're in Richmond, Virginia, uh-huh. right. You're dependent on the fuel that you're fueling up your truck from uh, is getting shipped up colonial pipeline that originates down, you know, thousands of miles away. And sure. it takes seven or eight days to get here to yeah. fill you up in your Wawa. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's uh, it's just fun to, like, look at that map and see how, like, I, I kind of think of it like an algebra problem where, like, we have all these demands for fuels. Right. And then we got to go all the way back up the chain like you're talking about all the way to, like, where we're sourcing the crude from. Right. But the United States, when it comes to fuel, is in a very unique position because Mm -hmm. we do have, in theory, the ability to produce all of the fuel we need for decades and decades and decades and decades. Mm -hmm. Um, If we had the investment we need in the infrastructure. Yeah. But we can we can make it all here and distribute it all within the United States without involving anybody else in the world. Yeah. Which is something. Very few other countries can actually do. No, it's like when you look at like the underrated, you know, things about the way that we're set up as a country, that's probably going to be one of them. You know, American energy independence is like a pretty important facet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even so much so like, you know, just with all the innovation and, uh, you know, the industry over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, uh, a lot of times we're exporting now. So when, you know, we had that, you know, or I guess it's still going on when we had Ukraine, Putin war. A lot of fuel in the Northeast was leaving the country on barges out of New York Harbor to go back over to Europe, right? Yes. When traditionally that that product flow goes this way, right? right? Yeah. So it's like ripples in a pond where something changes, and now all the you know the steady ways we're used to, you know, this uh, product being sourced completely changes, right? And yeah. just for this new event, yeah. Uh, so it's it's pretty fascinating that yeah we're we're pretty good to go, right? We've had oil bust oil field booms and busts over the years but there's plenty there to you know keep us going which hopefully long term is like a pretty good asset for the country right yeah so well and we're and and we're one of the only countries in the world that has it's all private so it's not the government owning all of in in most other countries the government owns the oil yeah back to saudi arabia like look at look at uh the contracts they're handing out for soccer players right now that Uh are just like they're ripping players out of england because state back oil money yeah uh wants that to be you know the place that a world cup's eventually hosted yeah and that's all yeah. getting financed through you know black gold like yeah like you said saudi so, aramco yeah. whereas like 
if I live in Saudi Arabia, I can't start Wildcatter LLC, no. Wildcatter Wit LLC, and become uh, you know an, an oil services company or no, drill for oil. Doesn't quite work that and, way. And get an oil yeah. lease. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. Whereas in the United States, <clears throat> I think that's why we've had to get so crafty and clever with how we extract oil and gas, is because we do have uh, an incentive to innovate because there is that private market. That it, and the private market is not perfect. Like no, don't, like, there's yeah, been there, there's plenty of problems. Everywhere. Plenty of problems. Yeah. But I would rather take privatized over. Um, state-owned any day of the week. Yeah, I mean, you just, you know, you, you get into it and you just have like dozens of people trying to solve a problem. And then like, you know, sometimes what happens is like one company, innovation sometimes happens because somebody got lucky, right? Yes. And, and then it works out and it spreads and it becomes a benefit. fracking. Yeah, it's yeah. a benefit for all society though yeah. because there's probably like, I, I imagine, you know, there's probably dozens of people who are trying to figure out how to get more production out of wells, right? Yeah. And then somebody figures it out. Maybe they're, you know, they're probably brilliant. But also when you're right a lot of times and you're amongst a group of, you know, a ton of firms trying to figure it out, you're also kind of lucky. Yeah. And then everybody benefits from that. When you only have like one operating arm who's like looking at anything, you kind of diminish your chances to innovate over time, right? And there's obviously huge issues, but yeah, it's a, a giant advantage for us. Well, so. and, and yeah, and they're, they're, yeah, there's not really that incentive to innovate. And the thing with oil prices too is like you want them to be higher. Yeah, it's, if you're it's state owned. Yeah, yeah, it's this it's this delicate balance of uh, you know producing what you need to. Yeah, to prevent civil unrest and to satisfy your global obligations. What a different game. But but you don't want to produce too much. Yeah, it's like mm, yeah, I don't like this twenty seven dollar a barrel oil. We're not, yeah. we're, we're, this is killing us. Well, that's when everyone in the States just shut down for refinery turnaround. Right. So yeah. one of the, one of the key things to pay attention to in the whole industry is like, uh, what's called the crack spread, which is basically the refiner's margin. Refiner typically starts doing well if they're making $15 a barrel. Right. Uh, and at points in the past year, it's been 50, $55 per barrel. Right. Mm. So it's just like, like you are just running that full bore, right? You're not, you're trying not to go into a refinery turnaround unless you absolutely have to, right? Yeah. You'll obviously do scheduled maintenance, but, uh, you know, a totally different environment than, you know, three years ago when it's $27 a barrel. That's when everybody like who had long-term projects was like, yeah, we're going to shut down now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because this is a good time to be out of the game. Well, so. and that's the nice thing about our oil too, and especially shale is you don't have to frack wells. You can, you can just pause and just all yeah. right, like park the rigs up and let's just wait. Yeah. Whereas like the oil sands were different, like it, it, it's just such a fascinating commodity because yeah. like the oil sands, for example, they just had to continue producing Yeah. because they've invested so much into these operations. They can't shut down. Yeah. And so even operating at a loss, they just have to operate at a loss until yeah, we're going until, yeah, yeah, until it goes back. And now yeah. they're full bore. I mean, it worked out for them just fine. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's it's 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 interesting. Even it's such a global commodity, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's fascinating. There's a there's some great books on it and like the origins of like oil trading, right? And like you can like read all about it and how like originally it was being figured out. Where like like imagine that like the 40s or like the 50s when like you know we really started having like the first stages of like you know more global trade. Yeah. And there was like there's literally uh, guys who were like figuring out that they could go you know, thousands of miles away. And then you find like the world's what's becoming like the world's most valuable resource. Mm -hmm. And then your job is arranging like barges to take this stuff back to your other country, like establishing yeah. that 
establishing the international trade of oil is like one of the it like kind of like blows my mind because of where we are today and like how yeah. it's so instantaneous. We don't we don't need whales anymore. Like guys, we can stop yeah. hunting whales because we have this stuff that's oozing out of the mountains. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> it's going to work out. That's it's going to be flammable. Okay. Yeah. This is crazy. But some of the whale is just like whaling. So yeah, you know, well, yeah. As we all know, yeah. it's the animal planet. Yeah. Whaling is still a thing. I know. Um, but um, it, it, it's going to the refineries too. In a lot of ways, they dictate, they dictate how the game is played. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can't, again, I can't just go start build with refining LLC tomorrow and build a new refinery. Yeah, good luck. So I, I, I'm, I'm You're beholden. You're going to need a few series to get a refinery going. <laughs> I'm, it's I'm, crazy. I'm beholden to the refineries. Yeah. And that's what uh, back in the day, John D. Rockefeller figured out yeah. was, hey, okay, there's a, oil there's is a cool. Point here. <laughs> yeah, but let me find the choke points. And that is transportation, pipelines, railroads, and refineries. Yeah. If I have the refinery, Every I control yeah, everybody. We're it doesn't matter who's yeah. producing at that point. It's a, it's a, it's a crazy, you know, uh, because it's just it's so funny to me because it's like everybody's exposed to it, right? Like there's obviously like the commercial side of it, but there's like the consumer side of it. Yeah, where like when there's blips in the supply chain, everybody's in trouble, right? The uh-huh. pipelines are even like more interesting. Like one pipeline, the Colonial Pipeline, basically feeds half the country. You know, like think about like. All the families from like Birmingham, Alabama to like basically Baltimore, Maryland, right? Like that swath, like when they are going about their daily, you know, uh, tasks, they're probably doing it in a vehicle that where the fuel came off Colonial Pipeline, right? So, yeah, uh, yeah, that one's been like hacked too. Have you seen, did you see that? Were you chasing around filling your truck up a um, year ago? I did, I did see that. So, you know, that, that pipeline now. Because all these things are starting to, you know, obviously get older. Uh, I'm not qualified to speak on like what pipeline maintenance looks like, but like Colonial Pipeline, since the time I've worked, you know, um, in the industry, has leaked, mm-hmm. has exploded, and has mm-hmm. been hacked and held hostage. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I was on like a scavenger hunt in Atlanta, looking to fill up my truck. Right. And it's it's just like it's super interesting to me because that's like a really big piece of infrastructure that a lot of people, you know, depend on where like batches and batches of fuel being shipped up that every day. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of frightening too, just how, um, fragile our society is because you just have to go after this single pipeline to disrupt everybody's life on the entire Eastern seaboard. Yeah. That's, that's terrifying. That's crazy. And something as simple as I can't fill my, like, yeah, when that happened, uh, a lot of uh, they're they're like in a place like Nashville, there was more than enough fuel. Yeah. But you had everybody panicking and going up and filling up their cars, which then runs out these gas, runs these gas stations dry, disrupts filling up Yeti coolers. Yeah. It's, it's, fuel. <laughs> it's, it's plastic bags, yeah. grocery bags. With Have fuel. you seen those? It's nuts. It's like, <laughs> but, hey, man, I don't think this is it. So. But then but then people see, oh, my oh, my goodness, this this gas station that I go to, every, they're out. So now I need to go, and now I need and then to go they pick find. Up a cell phone. Information travels faster than ever. Yes, right. Yeah, so. and they're putting it on social media, yeah. and, and you have this panic created when, in reality, there wasn't. Sure, there was a disruption, but all of these. Yeah, we definitely can make things worse. Way right? worse. So uh, way worse. Yeah, I 
you know, during that one, like a big thing for us is like emergency response. And uh, like people, people are pretty against pipelines in general. But uh-huh. like if you want to be like, pro even though pi- everyone is a customer of the pipeline. Yes. If you want to be pro pipeline, just have it be offline for a week. And then like yeah. we're bringing, you know, like we're bringing in trucks from like Minnesota and New York. Like yeah. people don't understand, like in terms of like the cost effectiveness and the stability that pipeline provides, like if you took that pipeline out of like the American supply chain, like life just looks incredibly different. Right. Well, and um, so railroads have had a lot of PR lately, mm-hmm. um, not positive for their derailments. Yeah. All like if you this is the frustrating thing about when they shut down pipelines that doesn't shut down oil production. No. That does nothing to oil production. And it all it, it all just goes, means it goes over the road. It all goes over the road yeah. or by rail. Yeah. It, it 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 will get there, and and you're just making it more expensive to get there, and yeah. a lot less uh safer yeah. to get there, and less environmentally yes conscious because it's a lot more energy intensive to move something as heavy as oil, gasoline, refined products over the road or over the rail. Yeah, the way these pipelines work is they're like hundreds of thousands of gallons that are moving up a few miles per hour constantly up the yeah. pipeline, right? So it's like. In terms of like the efficiency of like transportation and the way we can get a precious resource out to everybody, you really can't beat it, right? Uh, obviously, there's like for every pipeline, there's like huge political implications and like new stuff is always going to be like hard to get approved. But like, you know, again, I think it's just going back to like people take for granted what it takes for you to be able to get in your car and go to the grocery store. Yeah. Right. Like uh, there's there's a piece of infrastructure that you're probably not familiar with that you're relying on that's out there. So the pipeline thing is interesting, too, because there's there have been certain pipelines that have taken all the arrows that just become the enemy yeah, of the I mean, state for some point. reason, like Keystone. Yeah, is probably rod, example right. number one where when there's other pipeline projects going. Yeah. And they're they're like, shh, shh, shut up. Yeah. We're not building. A they're like, yeah, those Keystone guys. Screw those Keystone guys. They're yeah. at, they're they're I know I know people working on the Keystone project now. They had completed, as you know, significant portions of the Keystone yeah. Pipeline. <laughs> and then now they're spending more money to dig it all up and remediate all of the land that they've disturbed from the pipeline. Yeah. And now they have all this, this, this pipeline that they, they produced and bought <laughs> that they don't know what to do with. Yeah, for sale. For yeah. sale. Yeah. You can buy the Keystone Pipeline right now. Oh, that is kind of interesting. I wonder if they like like little stadium souvenir seats or something like that. Yeah, the Keystone Pipeline. It's just a gigantic. I mean, yeah. it comes in pretty. Big. Imagine that as yeah. office decor. It would be something else. But uh, <laughs> it yeah. filled the parking lot. I, I think it like ties me back to something that I think about all the time. Like the answer isn't like a default, right? Like every situation requires a different answer, right? And, like one of the things that uh, I've been thinking about is like you know as California goes more and more with you know renewable diesel and electric vehicles. The solution for every vehicle in the supply chain isn't necessarily just like cut and dry. It's always going to be this, right? Like light duty vehicles, always electric, right? Medium duty, always this. Heavy duty, always this, right? Because like you you actually have to look at beyond more than just the immediate implications, right? So like, uh, you know, a lot of times I think about some of the, you know, uh, people have been on the record about like the process that goes into getting like an a heavy duty electric vehicle uh, battery, right? That goes mm-hmm. in like a giant heavy duty piece of equipment. 
yeah. you're cutting the emissions down here, but what are we doing on the total, you know, supply chain? Right? Yeah. That's the question. Well, and they, and, um, they call that carbon debt. Yeah. yeah. So like, what's the, what, what's, if we're going to look at this problem, right? Like what's the actual answer? And we can't come in with like free, you know, free, uh, we're, we're always going to do this no matter what, right? Pipelines are always bad, right? It's like, well, I don't know if that, you know, when you're that black and white, I'm not sure if we're really, you know, judging how different the world is and how different this problem can be depending on where you're at. So. Yeah, I'm not, I think that's what's so frustrating to me is that you can't have a measured conversation about it. You either are black smoke, fossil fuel, diesel till I die, or I have a Tesla and I have a Tesla because I love, love butterflies and the environment and I am, I'm saving the world and you guys are killing the world. Yeah, um, measured conversations are pretty rare these days, right? Where it's, it's like, yes, and or like there's a. yeah. It doesn't that, happen much. But it's 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 beyond just the crazy conversations now though. It's starting to get scary because we're starting to mess with national security mm-hmm. and global stability. And yeah. like I just see this tidal wave approaching us of this increase in fuel consumption, this increase in copper demand, this yeah. increase in rare earth and lithium and cobalt and nickel. And yet we have no ability to actually serve that need. And so I'm just sitting here looking at the math and I am no math wizard. Yeah. And sitting here and I've penciled it on my napkin. I'm like, wait a minute. Two plus two does not equal seven. Yeah. And you guys are telling me it, it equals seven. And you're, and you're like, no, it's no, don't even question it. Yeah. It, it is seven, you, you <laughs> idiot. Yeah. And you what do you want to you, you hate the planet? Oh, oh, you want you want everybody to die? And it's, it's like, like huh, uh, if, even on, if you just on. ask the question, it's like, yeah. mm, nope, we no. can't, we can't do that. It's, it's not something that's uh, convenient enough to have a simple answer. Right. And I think a lot of times uh, what I've noticed, and this is just like more than this is just in general is people really like a simple, clean answer. Yeah. Right. Just yes, no, good guy, bad guy. It's so nice. It's so easy for our brains to get wrapped around that. Right. Uh, and it, the world isn't convenient enough to work the way that our brains want where we can just yeah, very simply yeah. categorize things into two buckets right yes so uh yeah but it's a mess well it, it's it makes us feel better about ourselves we understand yeah. what's going on we're in control it's mm-hmm. like mm, no yeah. way no way it's way too complicated for anybody to get their hands around it too complicated so, yeah um okay i, I could talk about yeah. i i love this topic yeah. i love energy and geopolitics about energy yeah. it's just so fascinating but to tie it back to the industry that we serve the dirt world yeah um <clears throat> that's the business you work within is i guess what what's what do you do day to day yeah so we are helping dirt world companies run like a fuel program right so it's a top 10 commodity for them right uh, a lot of times it's can be something that you know you get building a business, you get to be a significant business, and then all of a sudden you're looking at your fuel bill and you have no idea how your costs are derived, how to optimize your program. Mm-hmm. Is what I'm doing making any sense? How can I even see it, right? Uh, you know, back to the point about like this stuff fluctuates 300% in either direction in a year, yeah. right? So if I tell you you're paying $2 per gallon for a job, you know, is that good or bad? And it's the answer is, well, it depends, right? Like what? What is the actual market rate? 
how do I validate when I'm getting invoiced, right? Mm -hmm. How can I see, make sure my guys are using my assets in a good way? What kind of data can I scrape from my fuel data to run this business better? So uh, end up traveling North America doing that, which is a lot of fun because I get to go to a lot of crazy places, a lot of huge, uh, you know, companies and, uh, you know, like everything from like interchange projects to mines to ag sites uh, and just, you know, helping them learn more about this. It's kind of like a really mysterious when you get into the downstream, uh, you know, it's one of the costs that's like hard to understand, right? It's like, how exactly does all this happen, right? Yeah. How does this number make sense? Uh, yeah. So that's what I end up doing all the time. Yeah, it's it's something, it's on every job set in America, and yet you just, you never really hear it talked about. You hear equipment costs talked about yeah. all day long, but mm -hmm. fuel is just something that is just out there. Yeah. Everybody knows about it. I, th I think people, a lot of times they get, if they're getting like good service for it, you know, I, I think that there's more than just like getting good service, right? So like sometimes we'll talk to people and they're very... Uh, they're happy because the truck's showing up and they're getting their equipment's getting mobile fueled or their tanks getting filled up. And honestly, that's the extent of their curiosity about the question. But there's actually like more to it that can be, you know, uh, you know, derived from that. But a lot of times, like if you're getting good service, even though it's like a pretty significant cost, a lot of times as soon as the service is good, uh, folks can be like, hey, I'm pretty good because I get good service. And uh, a lot of times what we find is like sometimes you're getting a like really, really good service. And you are also that, you know, jobber's best customer, right? Like sure. they, they love giving you good service. Uh, and so, and so you're, you're getting good service. You're happy, but you're not ever questioning the prices you're paying. You're yeah, just you can't assuming see anything. that's what it is. Yeah, you can't see anything. And you're, you know, like one example that's always funny to me is like sometimes uh, you'll go to a job site that's using like, you know, like 6,000 gallons a week or something like that. Yeah. Like a huge job site. And like, it's, and then I'll look and I'll be like, why do you guys have a 1500 gallon tank here? Mm -hmm. Like, like, what are we doing? Right. And they're like, well, that's just the tank that came. And it's like, well, if we up that, right, you're literally, we're talking about like dimes per gallon of savings here, which ends up being like percentage points on this like job. Right. Sure. So ironically, you might be focused on all these other aspects, but there's a better way to run the business on something that you're taking for granted for service because, uh, you know, you're having someone come out four or five times a week and they really only need to be out there one time a week. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you spread that cost out, it's not like we're not talking about like, oh, it's a penny per gallon. We're talking about like, you know, like dimes per gallon. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it kind of it, it's funny to me because you're right. Like uh, we tend to focus on the things we're used to focusing on. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but, you know, expanding that curiosity and relooking at things, solving different problems. Right. can be like really valuable in terms of like actually generating like value for the industry. So. Well, and, I, and I guess fuel too, uh, equipment's easier to manage, I think, for people because they can see it, they can feel it, they understand it. It's right there. Uh, materials too, you see how much rock is in a stockpile, how much pipe is on the ground. You can, you can see it, you can wrap your hands around it. But fuel, it's just this it's magic liquid. Yeah, yeah. That, that it is in the tank over there. Yeah. And you can't, really you just assume that the price is the price it's out of your hand i have no control over that so i'm going to focus on what i can't control and that's my equipment that's my that's my um you know xyz yeah but fuel is just it's just kind of it yeah, is what it's it there is. yeah so but that's, that's not the case not all the time no. not all the time i mean uh it's i i again just go back to like 
the example I think about all the time is like the, uh, you know, bidding on a job 12 months out and you know it's going to be a pretty intensive fuel job mm-hmm. and you have no real ability to pass on that cost, right? If we have another situation where it goes from $60 a barrel to 120 right? A lot of times that goes like straight out of the bottom line yeah. for, you know, yeah. these companies, right? Yeah. Just like instant because they're bidding with information today and they're totally unprotected down here, right? Uh, and there's ways to like protect yourself from that, obviously, with like understanding like what's your actual exposure, right? Like if you're cheering for the prices of fuel to go like up or down, you're exposed to it, right? So yeah. uh, you don't generally, you want to have like some mechanism, whether it's a fuel surcharge or a you know fixed price program where you're not like really concerned about which direction this thing is headed because your profitability is locked in. It's going to be good either way. And, and I think that's a key point. Like if you're managing it, the price could be either way. Yeah. And you, you're limiting that exposure. Just see it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like know, know where you're at. Because uh, yeah. a lot of times it's something that you're getting. Uh, another famous you know, uh, thing in like the heavy civil is like, hey, we're going to do a bid, right, for the fuel for this job site, right? And you bid a number, uh, two other people bid a number. Congratulations, you win. Yeah. And then the job comes up eight months later. And I never check to see if your bid worked out, right? Because why did I award you? Well, on that day, you said the lowest number, mm-hmm. right? In terms of like an index differential or whatever. Sure. But then eight months later, it's like, I never actually looked at it. And uh, people know that, right? So that, that's like another thing that the industry is famous for is like, you know, it's, it's not the same where like a lot of the other costs, it's really easy to just do in a flat dollar amount, right? Or like, you know, something per yard, something per ton. Uh, and fuel's like harder because you can't actually have like if the job's coming months away, you can't just be like, what's your price per gallon? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so like yeah. checking that, having visibility into it, like actually auditing it uh, is like another like good way to run the business. Because in the end, like you're just trying to run your this is like a big input cost. You're trying to run a better business. So, uh, you know, yeah, you know, we're giving outcomes, better outcomes to people. Right. Well, under us. And as a contractor, a contractor, you should be making your money based on how well you can perform the yes. work. Yeah. You shouldn't you're have to be a worrying. lottery ticket. Yeah. You shouldn't have to worry about a commodities market while, yeah. while you're, you're not a commodities trader. No. <laughs> or else just be a commodities yeah. trader. Yeah. Why, why? Why put up with the headaches of building stuff? It's very, <laughs> it's very like fortunate when, uh, and even when you're like actually locking in your price, we tell people that the same way, right? We're like, hey, like this is, you probably don't know which direction this is going. We work in this every day and we don't know which direction this is going. And that's mm-hmm. like a hard conversation to have sometimes because people really want to have like, uh, you know, uncertainty. It's the same thing with stock picking. People really want to know yeah. that this is, I, I'm right about this. Because yeah, you're the professional. Yeah. Like, give me your money. I, I know, I yeah. know what I'm doing. Yeah. Here. But like, again, you're, what your actual business is, it's designed to make money off of performing this work really well. Uh-huh. Right. And that's how we should succeed. Even if we're succeeding because, you know, we got a lucky break on you know fuel costs on this job and it went in the other direction that doesn't really tell us more about how we you know measure out in the marketplace does it sure we just caught a lucky break well and and yeah because you've been lucky once doesn't mean you're gonna yeah, get it's lucky gonna go again. the other way it'll go year. the other way yeah yeah and and, and <clears throat> um yeah you you want to think you know what's, what oil is going to do but then like you said ukraine comes about yeah and all of a sudden the global community says we're not buying russian oil anymore yeah yeah, just, I mean, just the problem is tell me, you know, tell me exactly what's going on in every head 
uh, you know, every world leader yeah. around the world yeah. in the next two weeks. MBS in Saudi Arabia. And- well, if you can tell me exactly what China's plans are and, you know, you have perfect information, yeah, <laughs> go go for it. But I have no idea what anybody's thinking at any given time. Well, and, and even the United States government, who does know what people are thinking, doesn't know what people are thinking because what happened with the Russian oil, it was the Chinese and the Indians were like, so we can get we can get your oil yeah. now, and you'll give us a discount. This yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> the, through the back door, yeah, like, rearranges. Come on down, man. Yeah. Like we'll buy it all, and now they're buying. They're switches things up. Yeah, right. Yeah, ironically, yeah, Russia's doing very well financially right now. Yeah, because plenty of buyers yeah. for what they have to offer. It worked out, and then then there's like the whole like the natural, uh, you know, element of it where it's like there's like storms that impact you know. Um, refineries all the time, right? Sure. Storms and impact. Yeah. Uh, everything. There's They're all weather conveniently events. on the Gulf Coast. Yeah. It's it's just like there's so much uh, out there that's not true. So again, it gets back to like if we're in the business of the same, it's the same thing. If we're in the business of performing this work well, right? Let's succeed or fail based off performing this work well. And let's make sure that we're not tricking or deceiving ourselves about how good of a business we're running mm-hmm. because we're getting lucky on, you know, uh, you know, three or four different variable elements that went well in our direction this year, right? And uh, that's particular. I pro- I'm, that probably happens all the time because fuel went in your direction. You're making more money on this job. You're great. Let's yeah, do this job again. Exactly. We're yeah. performing well yeah. when it's not all due to your performance, which is interesting. No, and I bet there's other, uh, you know, inputs that are like that where, like, it's like kind of. A little bit more out of your control than you want to admit, but people want to like, people obviously want to feel like what they're doing is entirely intentional and yeah, yeah. the way it worked out was the way it was supposed to work out. But uh, yeah, I just think like we, when we do that, we tell ourselves like a convenient narrative of, well, it went in my direction this time and that's because I was right. Yeah. Right? And yeah. Then when it's real, yeah. when it goes in the other direction, it's like, well, how am I supposed to know about that? Sure. So again, like we want to you not know, think about it, like think about companies who are looking at themselves, right? We want to know how good we are. Like any good company should want to know how we stack up, how our work actually performs, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've got to try to eliminate a lot of this, like a lot of these elements on the sides that aren't are kind of obfuscating how good we actually are, right? If so, we want to get better. So how how do you do that? And I it's probably different for different size companies because I know on the big scale, like crazy, paving yeah. companies will have a terminal themselves. So yeah. they bring in. They're, they're buying asphalt. They right. buy asphalt by the train, you know, yeah. by the train car. It's crazy. And fill up these enormous tanks and draw down over time when they get, they know. And even they even time it in sometimes at like they buy a certain time of year because historically. Yeah, that that I was talking to someone uh, in the asphalt industry last week and like becoming familiar with that. And that, that is just so interesting that it's like, yeah, we're just going to buy it and store it. And like that works out for them. Yeah. Obviously there's the investment on being able to store the asphalt. Well, it's, it's a monster investment, Yeah, but they like but the they, fact that they know, it's well, they so hedge against that, it because yeah. if I buy it at a certain time of year, I know I got, you know, I know this was the price for my liquid asphalt. Yeah. And so I will just price that into yeah. how I sell it from here on out, which makes perfect sense. Or I know really big jobs that need a ton of fuel, like these battery plants or whatever yeah. they are. That's just just monster yeah, just quantities, tens of thousands of gallons. Yeah, yeah, just trucks nonstop. Yeah. Um, they'll buy 
they'll buy larger contracts. And so they'll get, they'll basically lock in a certain rate yeah. for a certain period of time, yeah, regardless to, of where the market goes. They'll try to use like the parent commodity, which is like the NYMEX contract for diesel or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which works decently, but like the one danger of that is um, sometimes your hedge can go in the opposite direction of your actual fuel cost, depending sure. on where you are in the country. So before you do an IMAX head, you always want to make sure that it's like correlating with what you're actually exposed to because the fuel price, uh, NYMEX values or the parent commodity can go down and your price in, you know, California can be going up. I got you. And then you're backwards, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. there's ways to like go all the way down to the physical deliveries into the tank or like, you know, at the company level, there's a ton of different ways to design it. There's also like a way to address it by having more flexibility and your ability to adjust for it, right? Like, mm. like, uh, especially after extreme volatility, you know, people who are awarding jobs are, you know, uh, this, this happened, I think a lot in like the ag side where like, uh, for example, like there was a giant cement shortage, right? Sure. And so like, there's more flexibility in giant ready mix jobs than there used to be because it was like, well, this, like, I have to change what I bid this pour at. Well, and there, the, yeah, there's escalation clauses now. Yeah. So in a lot of contracts, clauses address it, uh, all, all sorts of different methods to address it. But like really, again, I think it goes back to what you're saying about like it being that magical thing in the tank, right? You're, you know, a mid-sized contractor or a large contractor and you're looking at, you know, a bunch of different jobs. Just like understand what your actual inputs are, right? Like are you actually, you know, get it assessed, right? Call somebody, mm -hmm. look at like does what I'm doing here make actual sense, right? Mm. Should I be uh, having a third party come and fuel all my equipment on this job set at night, or should I have a fuel truck and should I be doing it myself? Right. Sure. Yeah. There's like a ton of different ways to get after the program. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it's like, I think it's worthy enough as a line item where like it, you know, it can really, you know, dig in one way or the other that again, I think just good stewardship is managing it, seeing it, validating it. Right. Uh, it's just like anything else. Well, so. it's, it's interesting too, because uh, small, medium, large contractor, it's a large portion of total spend yeah. on a percentage basis. Yeah. It's a large percentage of spend, no matter what size contractor you are. Yeah. And so it scales. It scales up. It scales up. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I just think, uh, you know, again, I think there's big opportunity, but it just, you know, takes addressing. It's, it's such a, like you said, it's such a mystery, you know commodity right like uh we'll also find like another funny thing that we find a lot of times is uh i'll go and i'll do like an analysis for somebody and they've got like hundreds and hundreds of transactions at you know um you know f-150s at a wawa or mm -hmm. sheets right mm -hmm. like yeah. that's yeah that's like rack the retail spreads that's like 30 40 cents you know and then you've got guys on the job site just going in there sorry i'm a wawa guy just like waiting on a shorty hoagie Right, sure. hanging out, not yeah. getting back and forth. Yeah. So there's like soft savings on that side where it's like, honestly, why don't we just put a 2,000 gallon gas tank or a 3,000 gallon gas tank out here? And then we don't have, you know, we're not waiting for our guys, you know, to go fill up the F 150s. Yeah. So, no, no Wawa policy. Yeah. Like, no, dude, Wawa gets you. That. You just get sucked right into that place every time. I love it. I, 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 I was talking to uh, Eric Jumper the other day and I said, there's just, the gas station culture on the East Coast. Yeah, if you want to talk about superior. industry, man, I'm ready to talk about. I, I just I, I think about unbranded gas stations and the footprints of them a lot uh -huh. from the food standpoint, from the 
you know, there's like there's like lines in the sand, just like any other industry where it's like, hey, you don't cross into, you know, my region. I don't cross into yours. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think it's that's that's a fascinating industry to me. But you, you look at what Bucky's has done, which it's has crazy. worked extraordinarily well for them. They're they're exploding in the United States now. They're building all over the place. Square footage is just they've got unbelievable. Some, yeah, right? they've got some dollars behind them. Though. Yeah, I mean, to, I I wonder what the construction cost on one Bucky's. It's tens and tens and I feel tens like you're the guy who could figure that out. I, I probably know somebody online. on the construction team that could probably help. But um, they 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 rethought the model. Yeah, and it's worked really well for them. Really good service. Really really good bathrooms. Really really good food. It's not just a gas station. It's a whole experience. Yeah. But then you go in other gas stations. It's like, I, this is maybe where I'm going to die. I went in a gas station last night and they didn't have like a phone charger. And I was like, gosh, I was Mm. thinking like, come on now. They didn't have like one of the pink cheap ones. Yeah. Just like, I I just want the little, I just want a little phone charger. I feel like in 2023, I feel like we should have this down. Right. (sighs) That's Uh, not how it works. You know. No, That's the way it goes. But if you but, wanted any kind of soda or an energy drink, they had all of that yeah. in surplus. Exactly. That's Whatever a good product. Want. So that's the real black gold right there. That's so. well, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but that's where they make a lot of their money. Yeah, I, I don't think so, the margins on gas are not that good. Yeah. So like basically a fuel retailer is very is fine with you fueling up. Right, but they would love for you to come inside and or buy get, some, get a car wash. Yeah, buy two two hot dogs. Yeah, right? hot dogs. There's there's like gas stations around the country that, that that push the car wash so hard that you literally can't fuel up until you tell them like, no, I do not want a car wash oh, all the time. Which yeah. is so like it's so well, frustrating to me. I, like, I've I've talked to car wash guys. Yeah, they that's why they sell gas is yeah. to get people to the car wash. Yeah, it's in, all, a, in a lot of in a lot of ways because that's where they make all their money. Like they're in the car wash business, but I they have a gas that's station. So, that's so funny though because I don't know what the blowback on that is, but it's like I'm trying to I'm trying to conduct a transaction with you. Yes, I'm trying to pay you my money. Yes, and you won't let me. Yes, until I tell you whether or not I want to buy this ancillary service that is completely out of the way, and I'm very rarely going to walk. Like I'm not an anti car wash guy, but like I think it's so funny that like that that tells you everything you need to know that it's like so it's like in fact the car wash is so valuable to us mm-hmm. we are going to make people even after they swipe the credit card they got to answer if they want a car wash or not yeah we yeah right? we don't like, care how much friction there is in this <laughs> yeah, transaction yeah. we actually want more friction it's nuts just just so, come to our come to our car wash yeah, damn it it's crazy yeah I can't believe it you sure you don't want your car wash are you sure are you <sighs> really sure. Or now, now the car washes, we're going way in the left field. Now the car washes, they're trying to figure out a way to bring it back. The modern car wash model now is subscription. We yeah. want you on our subscription. And so you go to the car wash, you just want your $8 car wash, you just want your car clean. Maybe you'll be back, maybe not. You don't really care. But you have to tell the guy who's now a salesman yeah. who's taking your card. If hey, you want it. Yeah, you, you want to sign up for our monthly, crazy. monthly special? All these roll-ups of industries, like the, yes. the the car wash, like that's nuts. And everything, that that's another, now we're just getting into general frustrations. But this, uh, you know, software as a service companies with yeah. their subscription models, that bleeding into everything in life. Yes. I just, I really, eventually we're going to be at a point where I really just miss paying someone money. They give me a good, good or service. We depart. And there's no more interaction. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get Uh, an email about it. Oh, but man, I mean, it started with the, like all the loyalty programs, but now like anything that can be a subscription, I mean, it'll come to the dirt world eventually. Somebody Uh will figure out a way to turn this into like a, 
you know, some crazy subscription-based model. Who well, um, there are dealers. I've talked to some companies that will replace their entire fleet every year. And they get a brand new, brand new fleet every single year. <laughs> I'm struggling to work out how that even works and out. And just pay, just pay whatever it is. And then they put it all into the rental fleet. And they only put a few thousand hours on every machine at most. And then they go flip back. Brand new equipment every single season. Crazy. Every season. Every season. Every season. Now, they're I not think, a huge company, but it's probably like 50 pieces. I think that's that, enough equipment. I think that's like an intriguing <clears throat> story, too. I mean, you might have just opened Pandora's box. Well, like that's a pretty intriguing idea for a lot of different people because it's all about the certainty of it, right? Like, if I know it's coming back, they, they right? and it, it doesn't break because it's brand new. It has the latest technology so they can be more efficient. Uh, it's super attractive to young people. Yeah. Yeah. I want to run a nice new brand new excavator. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And I get a new time. one all the time. Hell yeah. Yeah. Sign that me works up. better. It's, and it's, it's, it looks really good. You go to their job sites, there's no clapped out. And the math trash. works out pretty well. You think? I, I mean, I, I, I'm I, assuming if they keep doing it, it's working out. They keep, but, they keep doing yeah. it. So it must, it must work out. They've probably looked at the other options and thought, well, this is just the better way to do it. I'm not saying that's like, that's the go-to for everybody, but I, my mind. Uh, a friend of mine runs a company called Bulk Equipment out yeah. of the Midwest. They're one of my favorite equipment companies. Mm -hmm. And what they've done for the steel mills is they basically just, hey, we supply you all the equipment, all the maintenance, we do everything. And so their, their business is based on just evening out the equipment and maintenance cost. So you know exactly what your equipment and maintenance cost is going to be for the next year. Let us handle it There's all. a lot of value in that. Yeah, they own the equipment. They have the technicians that work there nonstop. They pull the machines in and out of service. They have 100% uptime because if you have two 988 loaders and you only need one, or you only need one 988 loader, they're going to have two 988 so they can rotate them out. So you're getting 100% uptime on those critical critical tasks. Um, and, and they've started to work with railroads and quarries too because it's like, hey, Mr. Cement Plant, you're, you're, you're not in the equipment business. Yeah. You're not even in the mining business. You're in the cement production business yep. and the lime is and just, just the input. That. Let just, me do everything else. That's what you're good at. That's where you make all your money. Yeah. Let us handle your equipment yeah. because why have it, why have it varying? You don't yeah. need it to vary. Again, back to the, like, it, if you're in this line of business, be good at this line of business yeah. and just focus on this. And we, we are good at this line of business. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Your job must be kind of tricky though. Because ego does play a role in some of this stuff. Yeah. I've been doing it this way for 37 years. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. And I have a great relationship with my friend, Jeff, the fuel salesman. Yeah. He has always been there. He has never steered me wrong. Yeah. I have nothing to talk to you about. Yeah. A lot of times uh, that happens. Uh, fortunately, a lot of times I don't end up, if someone has that adversarial of an attitude, we maybe aren't going to go visit them. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times we're able to keep, there's like the fuel procurement and there's that part of the value chain. And then there's the servicing of the sites. And we actually are utilizing, we're like pretty asset light. So we're utilizing like uh, hundreds and hundreds of different distributors, right? Who are delivering uh -huh. on behalf of us as well. So okay. it's like a mixed model. But a lot of times someone will say that and I'll be like, uh, one of the funniest ones I ever had is, uh, I was selling to a large farm out um, in, you know, uh, California. 
And they told me, uh, I was very young. Uh, they told me if we call our provider on Christmas morning, mm-hmm. they will be out here by noon before lunch is served. And for with with and it, they were like, if you want to make this work, you have to make it work with them. Yeah. And so we we essentially a lot of times have to utilize different, uh, you know, dis- distribution partners like that. Sure. Uh, and so I like I like hearing that right because I also want to know like if you're actually if you're if you have, for one, it's a huge mark of honor for those companies where like someone else is going to talk to them and they say things like that about you and your mm-hmm. service level. Like, want to know that, right? And yeah. two, a lot of times, we'll, you know, they'll be delivering on behalf of us, right? Well, and the, and the service provider doesn't necessarily want to be exposed no. to the swing in prices as well. No. And a lot of times there's a, you know, just everything from like a accounts receivable perspective as well. Yeah. Then like if I'm, it's kind of similar to the discussion we just had. If I'm a distributor, right, and I'm a fuel distributor, I want to make money off of running these trucks really efficiently and well and distributing well, right? Maybe I don't want to be, some do, some don't. Maybe I don't want to be making my money off where I'm buying in yeah, a particular yeah, market, yeah, right? Yeah. That's maybe not for me. So we, you know, uh, when you think about like some of the customers we work with, there some can be like, you know, a few states, some can be one state, some can be national. You start having to patch that together in terms of how you're going to service the needs of this particular customer mm. uh, with regional stakeholders, state stakeholders, site stakeholders uh, all across the country. And so it's a it's a fun, fun challenge. But the 37 years thing is I think about that all the time because I think, you know, you guys talk about this a bunch, like just because you've done it. Just because you've done it one way doesn't mean that's the automatic answer, right? Mm-hmm. Forever. Uh, I'm always, you know, I'm fine that you've done it that way for 37 years. Would you like to look at it again, right? Why or why not, right? And then the way we play is we're very like straight up and like transparent, which I think appeals to a lot of the customers that we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, fuel, because it's so mystical, if I can, you know, uh, or it's such a mystery, if I can take the mystery out of it, make it very clear what we're doing how it works, how, you know, your program operates. And that that's my best chance to build a relationship with whoever I'm talking to. Yeah. If they feel like I've got like, you know, some Houdini trick behind the curtain, nothing's going to work, right? Sure. Like there's going to have to be like a major issue with their current provider to have a chance. But the more transparency you can bring, the more honest you are. I think that's how you actually build relationships because then they can like everything is built off trust. If you're going to make that decision as a general contractor to redo a program like this, it's as crucial to like getting your jobs done. Yeah. Right. You're not going to do that without a ton of trust in the new solution. Right. And so that's just the way we have to operate is you have to be extremely transparent, willing to share anything. Right. So that you build those relationships so that this is a big decision for these companies. Right. Like jobs, you know, jobs or mines or, you know, ag sites, if they don't have fuel, they're not running, right? That's the that, oxygen. Yeah, that's not good, right? Mm-hmm. Just at the base level. So uh, it's a pretty heavy decision. Uh, and that's why there's some hesitancy in general to look at it. But the way you combat that is you're just actually trying to find if there's value here. And if there isn't, good, right? You're sure. running your business. I'm running this business. I'm trying to find if I can find value for you, but you're ultimately responsible for the stewardship of this organization, right? Uh, and so if 
I can't provide value, I wouldn't expect you to, you know, come be one of our customers. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, well, uh, and even you just saying, uh, yeah, uh, it really fluctuates, huh? Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah. Like, I, you don't know what it's going to do, do you? No, like, I don't either. Like, that's that, that's disarming. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, okay. So you're not trying yeah, to pull the wool not everybody, here. Not everybody, uh, will do that. Right. Like, I, I just, just, I think that's just a core value that we have. And, you know, it's just like, don't, don't say you can do something you can't. Right. It's well, a, a way that people should work. Right. That's like if you look at Vanguard versus the entire rest of the financial management industry. Yeah. You have all these funds saying, we know better than you. We have a magic juice that you don't have. But Vanguard was like, nope, you can't time the market. You can't on average pick winners. Maybe a very few select people have been able to do it for 25 years, but uh, yeah, 99% can't do it. So we're not going to do it. We're just going to buy everything. Yep. You're, it's worked out okay. You're going to be you're going to be hanging out. It's going to be good. Uh that success story, the all the graphics are always like changed for like the years of that they're examining. Right? You'll notice that like some of those graphs that could put out and we're really going after we're in a totally different industry. They'll have like the weirdest time horizons, right? It'll be yeah. like the last 6 years, the last 7 years. Yeah. It's like why are you doing yeah, what happened thing? eight years ago? Yeah, huh? Why are you doing a seven year graph? Well, I've never in, ever heard of that. NASA, uh, I was looking at their latest temperature graph. They chose, it was like it's X amount of degrees warmer yeah. than the years 1950 to 1980. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's, wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. I like, a, why? Why those 30 years? I think there's years? like a hashtag for that and it's called like fun with arbitrary cutoffs or something. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just like always like, wait a second. And like, even like watching NFL games, they'll do that same thing. And it's like, wait a second, why? And you read like the note on the stat under the bar. Yeah. It's like, wow, we are really slicing and dicing yeah. here to, yeah. Get, yeah. to get to a salient yeah. point. But uh, fun Vanguard fact, he actually came and... Uh, uh, Jack Bow, he taught at my high school for a year in the Philadelphia area. So really, yeah, Vanguard's on the main line in Philadelphia, and he uh went, and this was like obviously decades ago. So I don't like I, I didn't like learn under his tutelage or anything, but yeah. like he came and for a year he taught like personal uh, finance stuff at the high school as on like a volunteer basis. That's wild. Uh, I, I think that's the story. I might be butchering that a bit, but that's fun. I like when I found Vanguard, I was like. I was like, what? Wait a minute. I've I'm heard personally that name attached to this. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm going to pee real quick. Cool. And then we'll be back in a second to talk about the future. Yeah. I did want to talk about the future. Oh, yeah. The future. future. What is that from? SpongeBob. Everything's ultimately from the SpongeBob or The Simpsons or South Park. Yeah. It all traces yeah. back to those <laughs> yeah. three. Yeah. 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 Some cartoon. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Uh, so future state, we're all going to be driving electric cars and we're not going to need diesel fuel or fossil fuel ever again. Right. That's like 2024. I don't, I don't know. Uh, that's the nice part about it. Uh, I think if you look at it from light, medium, heavy duty, right. I think electric has a huge role to play, obviously going to keep ramping up. Uh, I think on the medium and the heavy duty, uh, just reading some of the stuff about what it takes to make like uh, 
kind of have to redo your entire operating model if you switch medium and heavy duty pieces of equipment up to a different fueling source, uh, which for some at some point might make a lot of sense. Some people are already doing it with things like RNG, right? And other fuel sources. Uh, I would just say like when you think about like massive equipment, it's really hard to make it work on the electric side probably. Uh, yeah. One thing that's super interesting and you probably, I don't know if you hit California on a road trip, that's coming out is California in the next couple of weeks is deciding whether all off-road equipment needs to be using renewable diesel uh, by 2024. Uh, wow. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Like, uh, it's a crazy, that could get like very interesting. I'm sure there's going to be, uh, you know, that they're, the, it's a California resource board and they have like a public Q&A that you can see on their website. So you can see them respond to every individual comment. And basically, like the tone is, this is going to get approved, and we're going to make it painful if you need an exemption to get everybody on renewable diesel for off-road equipment. So, like, when you start thinking uh, about like, that's like, it's like ninety days away. What so, what is renewable diesel? So, renewable diesel is, uh, you know, people confuse it with biodiesel. It's not quite the same thing. Uh-huh. Same feedstocks, hydro treated. So it's a drop in and go replacement for traditional petroleum diesel. You might get like a little bit of a difference on some of your like uh, gold flow properties, which is like, you know, whether the fuel gels up, uh, but more or less, it's going to be a drop in and go uh, with up to 85% reduction in emissions, right? So, uh, you know, recently in the States, we've seen a bunch of refineries on, uh, you know, in California, more plants are coming on along the Gulf Coast. Uh, I think there's some in like Wyoming as well that are converting from making traditional petroleum diesel to making renewable diesel. Now, when you do that, what's funny is you make about a tenth as much renewable diesel as you used to make traditional petroleum diesel. Mm-hmm. Go figure. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a West Coast thing right now where California's kind of legislated it into existence. Oregon and Washington are following. Uh, it's being kicked around in other uh, jurisdictions across the nation. What, what's, what's, what's the difference? So drop in and go. So yeah, yeah, but 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 what makes it renewable? So it's hydro treated with you know uh, different feedstocks. So it can be anything from soybeans to uh, you know cooking oils to you know look at every list that you see for biodiesel feedstocks. Uh-huh. Probably can work for renewable diesel. Uh, there's you know the feedstock question is getting solved continuously. People are making different batches of this, but the key is it meets the spec for ASTM uh, diesel. Right, which is a spec for diesel fuel. So it's it's made in part from plants. Yeah, it's it's literally, uh, I, it's it's kind of hard to even like get into it. It's renewable diesel. So overall, eighty five percent emissions on the back end, uh, up to eighty five percent. So when we're talking about like solving that problem, eighty five percent is pretty good when we're like thinking about like wiping out the amount of emissions. Now, uh. It's being subsidized now. California yeah. has heavily subsidized it to make figure. it cost competitive. Uh, but it's going to be with, you know, we're talking about you know, ESG goals and we're talking about state, uh, state politics, national politics, right? There's also some companies that are, you know, who have put out really strong ESG goals who are moving to it even at the cost increase, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think that's another one of those things where it's going to be like fun in the next few years to see. Uh, I think there's a scenario, I couldn't say that I'm for sure about this, where you, know, you might have 
17 states that have legislated or subsidized or given a credit for renewable diesel. And you've got 30 who are still on petroleum diesel. So you have like a patchwork depending on where you're going. But if you go to a truck stop in California today, you're getting renewable diesel, right? Uh, This isn't the same thing as like uh, a lot of people in the industry are probably really hesitant about any of this because there was like a, especially uh, industry veterans, because there's issues with the biodiesel and biodiesel historically has, uh, you know, gotten everybody really uh, flustered because I think Minnesota in like 2004 did a mandate before it was specced. Well, and and yeah, it was it was kind of a flash in the pan. It was yeah. like this huge promise that's we're going to change the world with biodiesel, and now yeah. you can't find it. No, uh, renewable diesel has surpassed <clears throat> it in California, and uh, I think it's going to be interesting because that's for like you know California companies, which is you know California's kind of a giant economy. That's uh, yeah. like January one, where that's you know talking about being on top of things, where you could technically you either have this arduous uh, paperwork process or you know you're converting from uh you know traditional petroleum diesel to renewable diesel so that's going to be interesting and i think the the push for it is just going to continue out there we're just going to have to cover every spare acre in the united states with soybeans to make it happen yeah there's there's an article uh that's called food versus fuel which is interesting Uh i think it was wall street journal uh i don't think it's actually that of a that big of a threat uh yeah, I don't think that's a real problem we're facing, but uh, it is funny that like Iowa, there's other regions of the country that have uh, biodiesel mandates, right? So like, I think Iowa just up their subsidy on and stuff up the B30, right? Which is biodiesel 30%, uh-huh. traditional diesel 70%. And that's tied into the, the ag industry out there, right? Well, you, you go to a state like Iowa, it's covered. Yeah. The entirety of the state is corn. And soybeans. Yeah. And so there's like an incentive to get that, like, get the demand going, right? Yeah. So like when ethanol, when ethanol started, you know, getting introduced, that, that was like a huge boon for Iowa, which gets like so funny because I was one of the first ones with the presidential primary. Sure. Right? Yeah. And so yeah. it was like a death knell to be against. It's a death knell to be against uh, for like a serious presidential contender. You really got to get off to a good start in Iowa. And so you've got ethanol. to be, you've got to be pro ethanol. You've got to be pro biodiesel. I just, so. <clears throat> I mean, I just drove the United States though. It is staggering how much of the United States is covered in corn and yeah. soybeans and none of it's for food. No. Well, I mean, some of it indirectly, like a lot of it goes to feed. Yeah. Which, you know, eventually um, is ending up somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Which ends up somewhere, but most of it now is for fuel. Yeah. Most of like almost everything I saw, corn, soybeans for fuel. Something else. I, I I really don't have up to date data on that, but I'm uh I'm not gonna disbelieve you. It's just kind I have of crazy. Anecdot- anecdotal data. I mean, like yeah, the entirety of North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, America's breadbasket, right Illinois, there. yeah, Indiana. It, it's all it's all yeah. It's all was, it's all fields. I was of in corn. Indiana recently. It was uh born in uh giant windmills. Win- so, yeah, windmills. So they're growing those now like, too. Yeah. Talk about how like uh, the traditional view of the energy industry might be like an offshore, you know, crude uh, well, right? Mm-hmm. And now the new view is a field of corn, a giant windmill overneath, right? Yeah. We're 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 getting two different sources of power from sure. this acre of uh, farmland out here in northern Indiana. Yeah. So 
it's a uh, yeah. I, I think it's going to be really interesting. But that's like uh, something. The the fact that like you can have a state pulling on things, you can have ESG and private companies pulling on things, uh-huh. and then there's even like legislation from certain cities, right? Like New York, uh, even like Dallas has put out stuff about like you have to get your emissions down, you know, for these operations. Airports are another one. So I think over time, sure. uh, it's just something for like the application of the dirt world is like if you're, you know, a West Coast contractor, you're probably vaguely familiar about it, but you might not know that this is getting ruled on August 17th. Well, and they're it's they're coming. They're right? very familiar about emissions in yeah. tier four, tier four final. Yeah, they they know they've that's been drilled. It's, in it's head. not going. It's not going away like the tracking and, you know, getting this gone. So even if I think this rule is going to come through. Right, which is just like again, ninety days away. Like that is to me, that's that's unbelievable to tell tell someone you need to either do A or B. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But it's not going away, and so it's just like about being prepared and aware. You know, having your head up on it. So let me tell you, Camp Pendleton yeah. won't be on renewable diesel. No. I know that much. No, they'll, they'll. Oh no, no, they'll be on the they'll be on the good stuff. Yeah, from now on, and they'll 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 have it. Uh, they'll they'll track it out and they'll they'll be good to go. That's that's the f- that's the craziest thing in a lot of ways is yeah you, you have the entirety you have the enti- entire military not subject to emission standards because it's too unreliable. There you go, we're set. <laughs> Tells you everything you need to know. Or fire dozers they they don't have emissions on because you can't you can't have emissions on a fire dozer. What if it goes to regen when you're in a fire? <laughs> you're yeah. like, like, hey, we yeah, got Mr. Government. It's like it, we got a lot going on. What what I'm seeing now too is if you are a say I'm a mid-sized contractor I don't need to worry about that I don't have any ESG goals I'm a privately held company I don't work for I don't work in California I don't work in New York yeah um, I'm I'm in Tennessee Ohio, Ohio. Oh, yeah I'm in Tennessee life's good but it's still being driven if I'm a subcontractor to a big big yes especially a publicly traded company. Yeah, every single publicly traded company now. If I'm working for a publicly traded company, I still have. I I still to even get the job now. It's going this direction. It's not quite there yet, but it, I it's have to happen pretty quickly. It's happening really quickly. I have to be part of their standards yeah. to get the work. Yeah, which it's, is I don't so, know how I feel. So about you need that. to you need to figure out a way to get into their standards, and there's going to be an opportunity for some medium sized contractors who understand yeah. that. You could even turn that into like proactively going and helping, right? Because some of these some of these companies with the goals, right, uh, and all the projects they want to do, right, and all the work, any way that they can get, you know, any receipts they can show to show progress towards these ESG goals, uh-huh. it's starting to become like really valuable. So that's going to be, uh, I think, like uh, you know, some of the like the DOT jobs. I imagine eventually are going to be asking more stuff about like yeah. you know, renewable asphalt. Yeah, I've, like, I've seen it all over. The place. Well, it's just like uh, there's you know renewable concrete as well, and it's just like, hey, what's what's the what's this costing me in terms of emissions? Which is so funny for an industry that's probably not very used to being. They're like, wait, what? Like, yeah, we're shifting the paradigm entirely from like the game being played this way to it's this and it's also this. What's right? and I'm I'm all for doing things better. I think we need to build smarter. Yeah, but what? What scares me about some of these mandates is I was listening to somebody talk about how the United States government just approved this enormous solar f- project in Rwanda. I, I think yeah. it was like Rwanda or some African nation. And the majority of Rwanda still doesn't have consistent power. 
Yeah. And so we could spend the same amount of money on a more traditional power plant that would give way more people power, but we can't do that now. And so I'm like, I just, I just went down, I think it's like SR 99 down the central Valley. It's a, it's a terrible road. Yeah. A terrible road. Terrible. And then you have the high speed rail unfinished right next door, billions and billions of dollars. It's like, I'm all for investing and doing things better. Yeah. But where, where's the line between dabbling with things that are a better way to do it, but also making sure we can fulfill basic demands, basic yeah. needs. It's, it's basically like, I, I, that would really frustrate me too, is like, okay, we're, why are we separating all this stuff, right? And yeah. it's because we're kind of part of the reason things sometimes work here is because we're so divided. But it's like, you have this in this bucket, right? Like you have, you know, your high speed rail over here. And SR90 is right here. 99 needs this right here. And you won't address the two because they're, they're in different boxes, right? And we're not looking at it from a very hard to look at it from a holistic what's best for, you know, the citizen, the person, the state, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, some of those, some of the pet projects are interesting. Uh, the way you like account for things and what's okay here, what's not okay there. Uh, I, I just think it's going to be, you know, I, I just think it's, one of those things that as uh, confusing as it can be, it's just like it's coming, right? Sure. It's just here, here it comes. And we've got to be, you know, prepared as we can for, uh, you know, this This is kind of stuff that occasionally can make it fun because it's like, wow, it's changing. It's another way to win, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for a contractor. There's another way to approach some of these jobs that gets you out of, you know, three bids in a cloud of dust, hopefully, right? Well, I, Different I, value add. I was talking to a California contractor a few months ago and, and a lot of people look at the California standards like why the, why would anybody want to be a contractor in California? And I'm in that camp. I look at them like that is so ridiculous. I, I don't know I'm how out. you guys do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I, that would be 50th. Um, I'd, I'd probably go, go work, be a contractor in New York before I'd go be a contractor oh, in California. Wow. Yeah. Which is saying That's a lot. a statement. And, um, but his, his point was, well, it's a competitive advantage because if we just go with, where yep. things are going for better or for worse that keeps everybody else out yeah like <laughs> it's kind of a moat around our business it's like that actually makes a lot of sense that, that's <laughs> it it's like hey we're actually already in this water and we're used to it and we're able to adjust to it and then if you think about like a someone who's trying to like expand into that market right like, like you said it's 50th out of 50 uh-huh. you're not going to have a lot of new entrants right so theoretically you have people who are we've learned how to be successful in this market we we don't think people are coming in, so we're we're actually liking it. We're gonna hang out here, right? Yeah. Uh, even though from the outside looking in, it's like, man, that is just like some crazy, crazy things that you have to navigate around. Well, uh, and it, uh, it's like what's what's happened with materials. There's gonna be a lot of consolidation because now it's not very cost effective for the smaller guys to play in the market. Yeah. And if, if like in California, for example, I can't run if I start a company. I need tier four equipment. So if I want to go start a big earth moving company, I need 657K scrapers, which don't exist. I can't yeah. go I can't go buy those from Caterpillar right now. They'd be like, ah, oh, maybe we could get them to you in 2027. But these other guys, they've already bought them all, so kick rocks. And and I'm just like, I just and even if I could, it'll be two and a half million dollars for one for one machine. I can't afford that. I can't get a line of credit. No. It's pricing some of the smaller guys out of the marketplace. Yeah. 
in favor of the bigger guys because they do have the money and wiggle yeah, room to accommodate. Yeah, they've got the to, to stand in there and stay in the stream. Yeah, right? like, okay, so. yeah, the, bio, the the renewable diesel thing, not a big deal. We can just absorb the additional cost even yeah. as they're figuring out the subsidies and how's that works. Like, yeah, we can just play ball. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, big legislative changes do generally uh, disproportionately impact smaller companies, mm-hmm. right? Because it's just like, great, we're, we're running this shop and we don't have like, we don't have the, organizational infrastructure to deal with this or the balance sheet right uh-huh. so uh yeah it's it is funny how you know states operate so differently right like totally like uh, totally that's that's one of the fun parts about it is it's a lab for innovation so yeah i just i, I can't get over that that it's just like you think about all the companies using off-road diesel in california and i i know a few of them that are already on like the renewable diesel but I just I'm really curious from like just like a non-professional opinion, like what that even like what that even looks like. Right. Because I think the way it's designed is that it is going to be like a big adjustment. Mm-hmm. I think it's like I think um, the California Air Resource Board is like aware that this is going to be like a big pain. And they're just at this point, they're OK with it. Right. Yeah. They're just like, yeah, we want it to be a big pain. So you get converted. Sure. Right? Sure. Uh, so I, I just am very curious to see how it goes, how it impacts. Uh, and one other funny thing about renewable diesel is there's smaller production plants that are around the country. So you know how you can't go, you know, create a refinery, right? There's smaller renewable diesel plants that are putting out a small amount of the stuff a day. So it, it's not, uh, it's different from the giant hub and then the giant pipeline infrastructure it's much Mm -hmm. more agile kind of fractured on that side and so if this stuff spreads uh obviously i would imagine that smaller sites eventually consolidate right but like for a while there it gets really really entrepreneurial where you have smaller rd plants scattered uh, doing all sorts of different things just meeting the spec Uh, and it's not as much uh, there are large facilities for it but it's not as much of this giant nest of refineries uh, who are shipping up this giant pipeline? It's much more of a, you know, uh, fractured supply chain. Well, that's what happened with um, steel in a lot of ways in the United States. There's just these 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 mini mills now. Yeah. So it's not the massive mills on the Great Lakes yeah. that were, you know, Pittsburgh, Chicago. Yeah. And <clears throat> it's it's all these little mills in Alabama, yeah, and Georgia, and and Agile. Texas, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And I, you know, these little in quotes, yeah, they're still some of the biggest development projects around. Any, any speculation on size is always in quotes, right? It's always sure. relative. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 You said entrepreneurial, renewable yeah. diesel refineries. Like that's in quotes. Like, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not starting a renewable diesel refinery tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is, you know, in quotes. Be clear. Yeah. So, yeah. The yeah. whole podcast is in yeah, quotes. Exactly. So, um, no, I, I, I love this topic. I love it. I have opinions that are probably wrong, um, but I love talking about it. Yeah. And I think the one thing that people can glean from this conversation is ask questions about your fuel. Yeah. Where it's coming from, what you're paying, how you're going about it. Yeah. Because there could be an opportunity there. Yeah. Just like in summary, like the same curiosity that you execute on materials, right, on labor or on solving all the different problems. Don't overlook this line item because it fluctuates a ton and it's going to impact your business, right? Run your business and be good at your business for the core value prop of why you run the business, right? So look into it, 
don't assume, you know, don't overlook it. And uh, I think there's value to be gleaned there for a lot of different companies out there. So, Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming by. Yeah, of course. Blast. Blast.